fun joke I'm tempted to play right now, but I passed on temptation. I wanted to take a sip and be like, (laughs) sometimes I do that to my family. It's really fun. Like, here, go ahead. They're like, oh, dad, can you see this? You see my black thumb? I have a black thumb right now. It doesn't hurt anymore. It's one of those deals. This is just random. This is one of those deals where, you know, when it hurts like super bad, when it smacks, nobody can see it. Then two weeks later, it's all black. So I'm like, sure, you want to touch it? It's great. It's just me. If my kids do that to you, you'll know where they get it. I'm sorry. Hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. You're at Midland Free, and we're glad you're here to worship with us today. I'm going to start with a story written by Robert, I think it's Mush, maybe Mush, I don't know, M-U-S-C-H. But it's a children's book entitled, Love You Forever. Does anybody know that one? Okay. It goes like this. Here's the refrain you hear repeated throughout the entire book. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living my baby, you'll be exactly right. It's this beautiful story that follows the entire flow of life from beginning to end. It starts with a young mother coming home from the hospital with her child. And, of course, the baby's just a little squishy, mushy at that time. And it can't do much at all. And it's safely tucked away in her arms. And she's rocking it to sleep, saying, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby will be. And then the scene, of course, changes with each flip of the page, and the child is developing. And on the cover of the book, what you see is this little toddler in diapers with, in the bathroom with all the toilet paper pulled off and toothpaste squeezed all over the sink, and his mother's watch suspended above the toilet as he's about to flush the handle. And it's a neat picture, I think, because it shows... What happens in the various stages of life? You know, there's this unending, self-sacrificial, completely committed love that's following this person through all the twists and turns and ups and downs that no matter what, no matter what state they're in, that love is always there. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Today we come to Ruth chapter 1 again, and it's a very, very sad story because this book begins with the loss of one woman's babies. Naomi's two sons have died as well as her husband, and she is in a foreign land and looking for hope, desperate to find a way. There's a famine in her hometown, so they leave, they abandon Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread basket of the world. For the land of Moab, and they dwell in the idol-worshipping pagan land of Chemosh. But eventually, that page is bound to turn, and today you'll see a turn of events that will begin to direct their course. When all the other doors are closed, there is only one left for them to walk through, and this is it. And the question comes then, as Naomi looks around and ponders her situation as inevitably it does to all of us at some point in time. Does God actually love me? I mean, I stand up here every Sunday and say that, but what do we have to show for it? If God loves us, how does he do so, especially in times like these? 
Does God love us? And if so, how? To catch you up to speed with where we've been, the last couple of sermons in the book of Ruth have gone like that. this. The first one we started out with is based on the book of Judges because the book of Ruth starts out and it says, in the days when the judges ruled, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Here's the setting in this very dark time in history when everyone did what was right in their own eyes and things were going very poorly. The question came, is God even with us? And it became very clear that even at the worst of times, God is still faithful. So the first sermon was God is faithful. The second one was then in response to what happened, Naomi is asking the question, what do we do when tragedy strikes? And the answer was lament, repent, and rest. As you hear those words, listen to them closely because you'll hear them come up over and over throughout the book of Ruth. You'll see, as is the case in most human processes, it's not necessarily cut and dry like now we're in phase one and now we're in phase two. They often get mixed up and intermingled. But today you'll see some of those playing out in sermon number three. And the question that we're going to answer today, does God love me? The answer I've already hinted at, but let me make very clear so I don't miss it, is this. Yes, of course God loves you. But this is how he loves us always and forever, no matter what. God loves you always and forever, no matter what. Regardless of the twist or turn, regardless of the up or down, regardless of what you did, regardless of whether you're worthy, his love is an unconditional, never-ending, self-sacrificing, eternal love. That is God's commitment to you. He loves you no matter what. So let's see how this plays out in the book of Ruth and in Naomi's life. And then we can start to examine how it plays out in our lives as well. Ruth chapter 1, beginning verse 6. We're going to read this text today. And then I'm going to go back through it and just make some words pop. Often I have a very specific outline. But today we're just kind of flow through the text. And I want you to be able to follow along as much as possible. If you have a Bible on your phone, that's great. If you have another form of um, communication, whatever, make sure you get something in front of you so you can follow today. This is Ruth chapter 1, beginning verse 6. It says this. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-laws to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people And given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
Act two, the curtain closes, the page turns. What's going to happen? Does God love her? We shall see the hand of the Lord, according to Naomi, has gone out against her and certainly can feel that way in our lives as well. Here's what happened in verse 14. Then it says, they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, see, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said to her, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, just for fun, it's possible, and I don't want to tease you too much, but it's possible that some of you may have read some of those lines at your wedding. Okay, don't raise your hand, but I'm curious. If you did read them, who did you read them to? Probably your spouse. But in this situation, Ruth's commitment was not to her husband, but instead to her. Now, that's love. Amen. All right, this was recorded. Love you, Mom. You're great. Let's go through and look at a few of those words. The first one is this, return. It says that Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Moab being the land of Chemosh. Remember, in the last sermon, we sort of set the scene like this. We said there's Yahweh's team and there's Chemosh's team. And what they did is they went from one team to the other Because they felt like their team was not winning at that time. But now, evidently, the tide has shifted. Things have changed. And as a result, the people in Bethlehem are being blessed. Clearly, that wasn't from Elimelech's family. Perhaps there were some people back in Bethlehem who remained true to the covenant. And instead of abandoning Yahweh, said, Yahweh, even though everyone else is going to abandon you, we will remain faithful. Our attendance goes up and down, our church, our lives, whatever, popularity, ebb and flow. Where will you be? Will you stay faithful to the covenant that God has called you to? Evidently, someone here was, and what they did was evidently, according to um, what we read last week, they must have prayed and, and lamented and repented, and as a result, God sent the rain. Here in this text, it says specifically that he visited his people and had given them food. What that means in the agrarian context that they're in is he sent rain, the land became moist and fertile, the crops grew, and as a result, people were able to produce and consume and were much better off than they were before. So once they realize this, they say, hey, it's time to go home. Things are better there. Let's go back. But really, what you have to realize, and if you look closely at this passage, What's going on in Naomi's life is probably that she's experiencing quite a bit of conviction. She knows the terms of the agreement. She knows the deal. All of a sudden, the rain comes back, and she's like, oh, yeah. Whoops. We were supposed to be there. We left. God is being faithful to his covenant and his commitment. We need to go back. And so as a result, she is changing her ways or changing her directions. 
you download the life group questions from this week, you should see how many times this word return occurs in this context. And the reason for that is this, is throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, this word is used in two different ways. One is just physical return, like change directions. The other is translated repent. And that's consistent with the New Testament use of a different word as well, which basically means to change directions. In other words, if you're going through life and you realize you're headed in the wrong direction and God is disciplining you and he's showing you that you're on the wrong course, there's only one thing to do, and that's to return, to repent, to go back. Sure, you could ignore it. You could keep going down the same path, but inevitably what's going to happen will be worse than what is. At some point, you have to say, we're heading the wrong direction. It's time to change. I know that takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of oomph, and also even requires us to overcome habits we've learned. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was in a different place, I had a really good friend. I have a friend who's a dentist here too, but back then I had a friend who's a dentist, and he was working on my mouth once, and he's reaching in, and he stops for a minute, and he says, you know what a dentist is never supposed to say? I said, what's that? Aha. He said, oops. (laughs) True, right? You don't admit that you made a mistake. If you might, you'll scare somebody or get sued. I mean, you can fix it later, but at the time, you just say the procedure went as it went. (laughs) Or whatever you need to say. In other words, you cover your tracks and be careful because you don't want someone to assign more responsibility to you than is fair or is due. And you don't know who you can trust or who you can't. And so you just are careful about your disclosures. Hey, it's hard to repent, isn't it? We've learned over time, we need to be careful what we say and careful who we say it to and careful what ownership we take and careful what ownership we don't. And here in this passage, the word of God is challenging us and saying, hey, look, sometimes you just got to own it. Even if it's 1% or 2% of the problem, whatever percent it is, you need to say, yep, that's mine. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Naomi's come to this point in her life where she has no other chance. I mean, she's in a foreign land. She has no husband, no sons. And from their cultural context, no hope as a result. And so the only thing left for her to do is to return, to repent, and go back. So the first word that should pop out at you, hopefully, is the word return, repent. The next one is this. It's the word visit. Now, I know that today's culture is quite a bit different. In fact, we've even talked to church consultants, and they're like, the church visit's out. Like, if you go to somebody's house, they probably won't be there, and it'll be a mess, and they'll be embarrassed, and they'll be upset, and blah, blah, blah. It's it's easier to just make a phone call. But here in this context, visiting was a big deal, and so the Lord brings it to their attention and uses this word in several different ways, both here and throughout the prophets. And the prophets, it's often a warning. It's saying, hey, be careful. If I come visit you and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're going to get in trouble. And Jesus continues that theme into the New Testament, this warning theme that if the master shows up and you're not prepared, watch out. But at the same time, there's also the opposite or the other side of the coin that hey if the master shows up and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing then guess what blessed are you here comes your reward good and faithful servant and so as a result no doubt there were people back in bethlehem and they were still praying and god showed up and he found them faithful and what did he do he blessed them because the master returned and there they were doing exactly what he called them to regardless of the circumstance 
They were faithful through thick and thin the whole time. And so he knows that if they're faithful in the thin, then it's for real. And he shows up and he blesses and he brings food for them. And as a result, Naomi hears about it and she goes back. But somewhere along the way, she realizes, wait a minute, I'm dragging these two girls along potentially to their deaths. Let me release them from any bond that they feel when in reality, the bond that they have to me is already broken. They have no legal obligation to stay with their mother-in-law. Their covenants have ended. They've been good wives. Till death do us part, they did. It's done. And so Naomi, like her husband Elimelech, very logically says, hey, look, it's time for you to go home. Go back to your mother's house. This is the best option for you. It's logical. Let me tell you a joke just for fun. It worked in the first service. Maybe it'll work here. We'll see. So there was this 85-year-old lady. And she realized that time was drawing near. And she didn't have a husband. And so she decided to remarry. And it turned out to be kind of an interesting story. Because the person she remarried was a funeral director. And so the local newspaper caught wind of it. And they decided to follow it up. And they said, um... Can we ask you a few questions? Tell us a little bit about your story and your life. And we understand you're getting remarried. She's like, yeah, this is actually my fourth husband. And they're like, oh, you're fourth. Okay. Well, how did it go? And she's like, well, the, the first one I married was a doctor. The second one I married was a um, circus master. The third one I married was a preacher. And the fourth, a funeral director. And the reporter was sitting there scratching their head, and they said, I do not get it. The lady said, well, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to... Exactly right. You got to have a plan, right? Naomi is at this point where she's like, we got no plan, girls. It's time to remarry, and you don't have much hope with me. Go back, be happy, and follow God's call in your life. May the Lord deal with you kindly as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest in the house of another husband. Now, these next two words are some of the biggest ones in all of Scripture. And I'm not kidding when I say that. This is not for rhetorical effect. This is true. In fact, many will say this is the theme of the Psalms and perhaps even of the entire Old Testament. And the word here, kindly, comes from a Hebrew word by the name is hesed. Sounds a bit like you're clearing your throat. <coughs> hesed, right? You can do that at home for fun. Review the sermon and call it hesed. But what it is, is this. It is this term which represents basically all the positive attributes that you can think of of God. Whatever you think about God that you like, this is it. We don't have an English word that's exactly like this. So it's translated in all kinds of ways like Loyalty, reliability, kindness, faithfulness, mercy, compassion, steadfast love. Those words we quoted this morning as we came in. Your steadfast love endures forever. That's it. That's this word. It is hesed. It is covenant love and faithfulness. And it's really interesting that Naomi wishes this upon Ruth. Because what was Ruth? Ruth the 
Moabitess. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't part of the covenant community. And yet somehow Naomi is wishing the blessings of the covenant community upon her, drawing her in and saying, hey, look, may God's covenant, unfailing, faithful love be yours. In other words, what Naomi is wishing for her daughter-in-law is this thing that God promised to Abram long ago, that through you all the nations would be blessed, that there would be a Savior, that there would be a Deliverer. And we come to this text and we ask the question, who will deliver Naomi? Who will deliver Ruth? And who will deliver us? And the answer is the same. It's God and his steadfast covenant-keeping love. Watch as this theme moves us throughout all of Scripture and throughout our entire lives. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Look, that is Naomi's wish for Ruth. That is my wish for you. That is God's wish for us. Not just kindness in the way we think of like, hey, I'm going to get what I want for my birthday or for Christmas or this or that. But true loving kindness so that whatever circumstance comes into my life, I will experience God's unmerited favor. Hesed, covenant love. This, by the way, is the only way in which we will find rest. The Old Testament goes after rest like crazy, shalom, peace. And it's not just like, hey, I'm sitting down on the couch watching the football game. But this is like everything is perfect in the world. Wars have stopped. Strivings have stopped. Pain is gone. Sin is no more. All is well. Jesus is king and God rules. That's rest. And what we're doing now on Sunday And what we're doing as we worship and pray throughout the week, that's little glimpses or hints of rest, but that is not the real thing. The real thing is yet to come. And that's what God is giving Ruth and Naomi here in this passage is hints of hesed. This is what yet remains for you to experience in its fullness. This is what you begin to experience now because God's covenant love, his unseen hand, his faithfulness is moving this story along Where is God in this? In the most unlikely of places possible. In a Moabite widow. That makes no sense whatsoever. And yet, it is through this person that God will actually show Naomi his love. See the irony there? Naomi is wishing this upon Ruth. She's blessing Ruth. But it's actually Ruth that will bring the blessing upon her how many times have you gone somewhere like on a short-term mission trip or something like that and you're like we're here to bless the people and reality who gets blessed yeah right back at you that's what's happening here with naomi she's like may the lord bless you well naomi you have no idea (laughs) you have no idea how much the lord is going to bless you and it's coming through her actually wait and see then naomi tries to send her away how ironic is that Naomi is pushing away the very thing that God has sent to bless her. Don't raise your hands, but how many times have we done that? The very thing God has sent to bless us, we push away. What has God sent into your life that is meant to be a blessing that you are pushing away? I know that's a little bit reversed and upside down, but that is the crazy way in which God works. There's a famine in the land. How is that a blessing? It looks like God's hand is against us. Is it really? Wait and see. Naomi is here and she attempts to push Ruth away. 
And Ruth, um, the other wife, Orpah, the other sister-in-law, understands the reasoning behind that. And so in verse 14, it says, They lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. See, Orpah is being used as a foil, as the opposite contrast. She's the one who does what is logical and reasonable. She hugs mom and says goodbye. On the other hand, there's Ruth. And Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. Now listen, this is uh, for the little boys in the audience or people who are still little boys in big bodies. But how many of you are familiar with, um, I don't know, knights and dragons and battles and stuff like that? Raise your hand. You got me? All right. Well, any dragon, any young knight knows has this like chain link armor that is impenetrable. Of course, you're looking for that one little link that you can zing an arrow through. But most of the time, you're whacking on it with your sword, and you're not going to go anywhere because that stuff is like a hard shell that's overlaid, and there's no penetration. That armor is clinging tightly to itself. Look at what Job says in chapter 40 when he's going through a similar experience of lament and repent and rest. And God brings out this ancient creature, which the Bible doesn't, which the translators doesn't, don't know what it is. They don't know if this is a dragon, if this is a dinosaur, if this is whatever. So they just call it behemoth. Behold, listen to this word and listen for the word cling again. Here's the text on the screen. Behold, behemoth, this monster, this dragon, this dinosaur, which I made um, as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. He makes his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. Good luck penetrating his armor. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other. And cannot be separated. Here is the same word that's used. Of Ruth. Clinging to her mother-in-law. As the armor to the dragon. And what God is trying to say is this. Look. The way Ruth loves her. Is the way God loves you. You get that? The way that Ruth clings unflinchingly. To her mother-in-law is the way that God clings to you. It is like the armor on the scales of a dragon. It is impenetrable. This is important because in many a situation, we find ourselves asking that question like, does God love me? The answer is yes, he loves you. But where is it? Well, it's here with you right now. It is clinging to you so hard and so fast that it simply can't even be separated from you. Ruth shows us exactly what that's like when she says to her mother-in-law, look, don't urge me to leave you or return from you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people, my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die and be buried. This is what Hesed looks like. It is unconditional, self-sacrificial, and eternal. 
And that is how God loves us. Unconditionally, self-sacrificially, and eternally. I've been talking a lot about Ruth and Naomi, but I know we need to bring this home, and this is how. If you ask me, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, and you say, does God love you? Of course, the answer is yes. Well, show me how. Well, the first and most obvious display is on the cross, and probably many of us know that, but let me just remind you, in case you don't, or in case you need to be reminded of it this morning, look, Jesus loves you, and his blood is more precious than all your sin. His sacrifice is more effective than any of the effects of your sin. And his resurrection is more powerful than any of the powers of your sin. Jesus loves you. And if you've placed your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have the guarantee of eternal life. You have the Holy Spirit living with you right now. And you can experience Christ in a very real way. But if you haven't, then you need to confess, repent, and believe. And that is the only way you will actually ever get to experience true love. You won't experience love if you see Jesus as a teacher or a man up on the cross or a distant figure that shows us a good way to live. The only way in which you will experience love is if you say, yes, I am a sinner. I need that. I own it. It's mine. I'm sorry. I repent. I turn from my sin and I believe in Jesus. You move from the land of Kamash to the land of Yahweh. You say, I am transferring from one realm to the other, from darkness into light, from death unto life. And only in Christ can you do that. If you haven't ever believed in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today for the first time. And I mean really believe, not just like, yeah, I know he's there, but I mean like, I am betting my entire life, existence, and future on this. All chips in on one thing. And if this doesn't hold up, everything else is a wash. But if this is true, then I know everything's going to be okay. Because, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. This is what we're banking on. And if it's not true, everything else is a waste of time. I think like John Piper says, we should do something. He says this, John Piper says, make a decision that will make no sense whatsoever unless there's an afterlife. Do something that makes no sense whatsoever unless God will pay you back later. All the chips, everything in for one thing. God loves you. Look, God loves you. He's not messing around. This is what Ruth is saying is, look, mom, I'll die with you. I don't care about my future. I will give my life for you. That's what God did in sending his son, Jesus. Is it unconditional, self-sacrificial, eternal love? So does God love you? Does God love me? Yes. How? Well, individually, specifically, unconditionally, and eternally. What does that look like for you this week? I don't know. We're all in different situations, and I cannot come up with enough illustrations to say this is specifically how God is going to love you. We know the terms of the covenant, forgiveness, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, eternal life. 
But we do not know specifically yet how God will love us. There's a good chance there's someone sitting here with you today that is going to be that very means, although it may be completely unexpected, to bless you. And that is why we invite you to come together as a church body, because the reality is this. We're Americans, and we like to do things a certain way on our own. I'm okay. I don't need help, whatever. But in reality, we need each other. And that's why God brings us together is because there's strength in numbers. And where I'm weak, you're strong. And where you're strong, I'm weak. (laughs) I think it was supposed to be another way around. Look, here's the point I'm trying to make is this. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you unconditionally, forever, eternally, no matter what. From the very moment you went home from the hospital to the very moment you go back to the hospital, God loves you. You are believing in Jesus Christ and you're a member of his family and he will never abandon you. He says to you today, I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as you're living, his child you'll be. God loves you.